this Sunday is Whitson or Pentecost Sunday, and so the topic of the whole service and of the sermon today will be the Holy Spirit. I've been asked to give uh, a bit of an overview. Now, in the very center of your bulletin, you'll find an outline of the sermon. To save us spending lots of time flicking all over the place, I've printed all the Bible verses there, so it looks complicated, but it's not. There's also some blanks. If you like fill-in-the-blank things, there are fill-in-the-blank things there as well. And that's in the very center of your bulletin. We start with the word of prayer. Mighty God, you know our weakness. You know the frailty of our flesh and its passions. And so, we pray that you will work now in us to give us the strength to consider your holy word together. Now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Can you imagine something that would be better than having Jesus at your side? In our Gospel reading today, we met the disciples being challenged to imagine something that would be better than that. Jesus had now been with them for about three years. He'd been teaching, he'd been healing, he'd been raising the dead. By now he is to them not just Jesus of Nazareth, but the beloved Master, even the Christ, the one upon whom they have staked their hopes, in fact, their lives, their name, their future itself. And now he has said, I will leave you. He will leave them and he will leave them alone to face the wrath of his enemies. They will, he says, they will be thrown out of synagogues, and the time will come when the one who kills them will think he is offering service to God. Meanwhile, he says, he is going away back to him who sent him. Little wonder is it that their hearts become filled, we read, with sorrow. It must seem as if their world is at an end. They'd left their nets, some of them, to come and follow Jesus, but now Jesus will leave them to the cruel fate of this world. But then, in the midst of their sorrow, he speaks words of comfort. He says to them, Nevertheless, nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. What possible advantage could it be in Jesus leaving them? Or the big advantage, the big thing Jesus says here, the big thing that is better than having Jesus at their side is the Holy Spirit himself. It is to your advantage that I go away, he says, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This is Christ's claim, his promise and his comfort that the coming of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is so wonderful, so helpful, and so important. It is better even than having Jesus at their side. And that means that the Holy Spirit must be very important indeed, doesn't it? So why is the Holy Spirit so important? Well, there are many, many reasons. Today we will look briefly at just six. They're the ones in your outline. The first reason he is so important, the Holy Spirit is important because of who he is. Sometimes we miss the wonder of the Holy Spirit because we imagine him as something less than he really is. Sometimes we, we tend to imagine him like he is a force 
like the gravity of the spiritual world, or, or, or he's a feeling that comes and goes and passes through. But that's not what Scripture says of him. Scripture puts him on the very same level as God himself, as God the Father and the Son. This is why in baptism, Matthew teaches us to baptize in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, far from being some force or feeling, he is personal God. He has his own mind. He can reveal himself even in a bodily form, as the quotes from Romans and Luke show us. On your outline, the blank is the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. And as that, he is also fully God. When Peter is speaking in Acts, he first charges Ananias with having lied to the Holy Spirit, and then says to him, you have not lied to man, but to God. He's interchangeable with God. He is fully God, as much God as the Father, as much God as the Son. And that alone means he's very, very important. He is God. But there is more than this, because as God, he is not just a person of the Trinity, but reason too is a person of the Trinity who is very important for our salvation, particularly because he is the one who convicts the world concerning sin. As Jesus goes on to say, of sin because they do not believe in him. Yet he does not stop with convicting us of sin. For having convicted us, he proceeds to convict us of righteousness and of judgment. He is the one who causes us to cry out helpless to the one who alone can give us righteousness, the one who alone had left the disciples' side to go to him who sent him through the suffering and death of the cross for our sins and our salvation. Have you known this? Have you ever been brought somehow face to face with your own sinfulness? Have you ever somehow found yourself convinced, convicted, persuaded, somehow that you are indeed an incredible, terrible sinner, unfit and unable to stand before a holy God? And then, then have you known yourself being, being brought from the gut-wrenching sorrow of sin and turned to trust in the cross of Christ? If you have, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't known this true repentance and faith, then I fear that you have not yet known the Holy Spirit, for this is his first work. It is how he brings us salvation, and it is how he brings us new birth from above. As John 3 says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Or as John 6 says, it is the work of the Spirit, for the flesh is of no help at all. On your outline, the blanks are that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and gives us new life in Christ, which means, brothers and sisters, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, then you know two things. You know not only that you have forgiveness through Christ, but you also have the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter promised the very first Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, he said, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And indeed, so true it is that Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. On your outline, the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who believes. And in fact, this is so certain. The fact that if we believe in Christ to save you, we also have the, sa- we also have the Spirit, that, that we, we can actually look at it the other way around. If we have the Spirit... You know, we also have Christ as Savior. As Ephesians says, when they heard the gospel and believed in Christ, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Or as Romans 8 says, the very fact that he lives in us means that just as Christ was raised again from the dead, so too we will be raised to life everlasting. And I want you to get the implications of this, because this is important. It means that the Holy Spirit is a promise even greater and stronger than faith. A guarantee more solid than the confession of our lips. A certainty so sure we know it will hold even when we fail. What happens, do you suppose, uh, to to a Christian? if he or she suffers from dementia or, or Alzheimer's, perhaps slips into a coma from which he or she never wakes? What do you imagine happens to their salvation when, when they are now in a state when they can no longer recall, let alone praise the name of their Savior? The answer is absolutely nothing. No harm comes to their salvation in the slightest because the Holy Spirit was, is, and forever will be their guarantee of salvation, and we will still, as of a certainty, see them in heaven singing the strains of glory. The blank on your outline is given as the guarantee of our inheritance and our resurrection to life. Third reason that the Spirit is so important is because the Spirit points us to Jesus. Now, sometimes churches like ours, churches that focus very much on Jesus and the gospel, we get criticism that we are neglecting the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? Or perhaps you've even worried about that. Well, I have good news for you. The criticism is entirely wrong. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is on a major mission, not to get people to focus on himself, but to get people focused on Jesus. The old theologians speak of him beautifully. They called him the self-effacing spirit of God. He seeks not his own glory, but that of Jesus. This is what Jesus promised of him in our gospel reading, John 16, 14, and 15. He said, he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He glorifies Jesus, and he does it by establishing, first of all, forever by the apostles what Jesus taught. As John 14 says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's not those who focus on Christ and the gospel that neglect the Spirit, is it? Those who neglect the Spirit are those who focus on something else. Even if they claim they're focusing on the Spirit, it is they who neglect Him. For, and this is your outline, the Holy Spirit does not seek His own glory or speak of Himself. He glorifies Jesus and speaks of him. 
brings us to our fourth reason why the Spirit is so important. Reason four. The Spirit is important because rejecting the Spirit means rejecting salvation. Think it through a little bit. Because the work of the Spirit is first and foremost to convict us of sin and bring us to salvation in Christ, rejecting the work of the Spirit means that we will not be convicted of sin, nor come to salvation in Christ. This is what Stephen the first martyr charges the Jews with in Acts 7. He recounts how the Holy Spirit has testified in, through, and of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ to them, yet they saw it and resisted the Holy Spirit and betrayed and murdered the Holy and Righteous One. This is that sin, the famous sin, that cannot be forgiven, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Matthew chapter 12? Remember what's been happening? Jesus has been going around doing mighty works by the Holy Spirit. But these works, what were they for? In these works, the Holy Spirit was testifying in healings and miracles that this is the Christ. It's as if the Spirit is pointing in them to him and saying, look, he is the Savior. Repent and trust in him. In him there is forgiveness of sins, no matter how few or how many they are. He says, by his signs, come to him and be forgiven. But yet the leaders of the Jews, they saw it. And they said, no. You are doing your mighty works by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. How, how, if they reject the work of the Holy Spirit and call him a demon, will they ever come to conviction of sin and faith in Christ and find forgiveness? It cannot be. Therefore, Jesus says, Every sin and blasphemy will, will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Be the same in Hebrews, where the writer speaks of those who have tasted of the gifts of the Spirit, but then reject Him, resist Him, and profane the blood of Christ itself. For them as the leaders before, he says there's only the earnest expectation of punishment. Oh, and this is your blank. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means rejecting his testimony about Jesus. Reason five, why the Spirit is so important. The Holy Spirit is important because he teaches us. We've already heard of him teaching the apostles to remember all that Jesus said, leading them into all truth. That's why we can trust all that the New Testament says today. But that's just a part of his teaching ministry. For if you look carefully at the Scriptures, you will find time and time again, God speaks to us right here by his Spirit. I've given you a quote from Hebrews, which speaks of Psalm 95, written many centuries before as the Holy Spirit says, not the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit still says to you and speaks by the Psalm. It is the word of the Spirit. And Peter confesses the same. He says, no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The other quotation from Hebrews says the same. He quotes from the prophet Jeremiah and describes it as the Holy Spirit bearing witness to us even today. And more than this, and I think we sometimes miss this, do you remember that passage concerning in Ephesians, putting on the whole armor of God? 
what is the weapon that we are to take? It is the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? But what is the sword of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit, he says, is the Word of God. We do not have the full power of the Spirit if we do not have the fullness of the Word. And so at St. Mary's, because we take the Holy Spirit very, very seriously indeed, not only do we make sure that Christ is glorified above all, we make sure that we take very seriously the teaching, preaching, and understanding of the Spirit's Word, fully assured that when this Scripture is opened faithfully, the Holy Spirit speaks and works with power. That goes for preachers too. Who is a preacher who preaches by the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, it's not the one who plays fast and loose with the Bible or makes things up as he goes along. It is the one who labors all week in his study under the Spirit, in the Word, praying that he would understand and open faithfully to you, not his own ideas, not his own passions, not his hobby horse, but all that the Spirit has for us. This is to preach by the Holy Spirit. On your outline, the Holy Spirit does not contradict the Bible or replace the Bible. The Holy Spirit speaks by the Bible. And finally, our last reason for today, number six. There are lots more, but we'll only do six. Number six, the Holy Spirit is important because for becoming like Jesus for this, you only have to recall the whole plan of salvation. God's salvation plan is to take fallen sinners like me and like you, to bring them forgiveness through the death of his Son died for their sins, and then to conform them into the image of that Son to be a holy people for him for all eternity. And that means that just conviction of sin and faith in Christ and the new birth from above, that's not the end of the story. We who are saved by Christ must also be transformed. We must be progressively sanctified. We must be made like Christ. And this, too, is the great work of the Holy Spirit. When we see our sin, when we realize that we are not living as we ought, and we put them to death, well, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. As Romans says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this means that because of the Spirit, our Christian lives are and must be a daily battle, an inward struggle in which our old sinful flesh is slowly but surely overpowered and destroyed by the work of the Holy Spirit. As Galatians says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh to keep you from doing what you want to do. Do you want to be a Spirit-filled Christian? Do you want to honor the Holy Spirit? Then hear Him as He speaks to you in the Word again and again and calls upon you to put to death your sins. He is not idle. He is active. Take every effort to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And as you do that, as you turn away from sins and put the flesh to death, you will start to bear 
a wonderful fruit of righteousness. As Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You know, there is only one sure outward sign that you have the Holy Spirit. It is not signs. It is not wonders. It is not speaking in tongues or any other gift. The only outward sign that is always present, if the Spirit dwells in you, is that you are turning away from sin and becoming more and more holy like Christ. On your outline, the Holy Spirit always leads us to live holy lives and to put the flesh to death. But in fact, when we fail to do this, it grieves him. It affects him deeply. What do you imagine happens when you, as a Christian, sin? That it is just your own business, yours alone? No. Even when you are behind locked doors, the Holy Spirit, full, eternal, holy God, dwells within you, even as you engage in sin, and as you do, it fills him with distress. It pains him. It grieves him, the Spirit of God himself, that you, who he has sealed for eternity, is persisting to live as if you are aiming for damnation. As Ephesians 4 exhorts clearly, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Go on your outline. When we continue to live sinfully, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But yet it is a battle in which we have his help, for he who dwells within us also knows our weakness. And let me tell you, he knows that even our prayers are often so corrupted by the passions of our flesh that we do not know what we should pray for. And therefore, as Romans 8.26 says, he helps us in our weakness. For he says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit helps us. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Not only do we pray by him to the Father, but even as we fail, he prays rightfully for us that his will would be done in our lives and we would indeed become holy and blameless before him. In the bulletin, the Holy Spirit helps us in all this, both by enabling our prayers and by praying for us according to God's will. As we conclude... I trust that we have seen some very important reasons why the Holy Spirit is very, very important and why Jesus could truly say, it is to your advantage that I should leave you, that he might come. As to application, just three things. First of all, we have seen how the Holy Spirit is essential to the work of salvation. In fact, we have seen that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved. It doesn't matter what we try it doesn't matter whether our church attendance goes through the roof or our giving bankrupts us or if we are filled with worldly sorrow. And let me tell you, it also doesn't matter whether we have heard 100,000 faithful sermons about Christ who bore our sins upon the cross for our salvation unless the Spirit also grants us repentance and faith in that Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot and you will not be saved. He alone convicts us of sin, causes us to be born again, and seals us for salvation. And so the big application I want to draw today is that you must not think that you have salvation, and I must not think that I have salvation, 
I must not even think that I am a Christian unless I know that I have been brought personally to the true conviction of my sin, to repentance, and to a faith in Christ who died for me. If you know today that he speaks to you, and it is my prayer that he does, do not resist him. Second, we have seen how the Holy Spirit speaks to us supremely by his word, and that must transform how we read and hear the scriptures. Are there things here that you refuse to hear? Are there things here that he calls sins that you insist are okay? Is there an evil bent in us that causes us to resist the Holy Spirit and scoff at his word? Dear brothers and sisters, do so no longer. Do all you can to know his scriptures faithfully and deeply. Hear the word of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit and let his power work in you and through you. Do not ignore him. And finally, we've seen how the Spirit works to transform us into the image of his Son, his great work of sanctification, as we put the flesh to death and bear the fruits of the Spirit. And so let me urge you, as you persevere in hearing his word, also persevere in walking by the Spirit and obeying it, turning from every sin to the power he works in us and walking in righteousness. There is no status quo for Christians under which we are allowed to keep even one of our sinful habits or desires or passions. There is none. We must not, we cannot imagine that we can keep one foot in the world and one foot in heaven and that this is the will of God for us. It is not and his Holy Spirit is given to us to show us otherwise. So dear brothers and sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who so loved us, he gave his Holy Spirit for us. Let's pray. Mighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has indeed such great love for us, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he works in us for our salvation, that he convicts us of sin and of unbelief, that he turns us in repentance to faith in your Son, that we might have forgiveness, that we might have new birth from above, that he might dwell in us by faith. Pray, Almighty Father, that there would be not one here today in whom he does not work, who is not brought to conviction, who does not trust in him, but that all would come to the Son through the Spirit. We pray, Father, for all your people here present that you would be pleased to work by your Spirit in us to put to death the flesh. Help us to turn from our sinful desires. Teach us to persist in pursuing Christ-likeness and righteousness and holiness. Give us the strength for it. We ask all this, Father, in the name of your Son. Amen. To reaffirm our faith, shall we all stand and say the Nicene Creed together, found on page 5 of this yellow booklet. We believe in one God, 
the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen.